still in the first chapter, Gospel of Luke chapter 1. I'm excited. I've been looking ahead a little bit. You're not going to believe where this story is headed. (laughs) It's It's just such a wonder. I love reading through and studying the Gospels. And Gospel of Luke, as we've talked about already, has co- covers many things that we have not seen in Matthew or Mark, nor things we will see eventually in John, things that are unique to the record that Luke took the time to research and, and get testimony about and then jot down. Tonight we see more of that testimony that only could have come from the source themselves, from the people or by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that Luke writes all of these things down, but it's, it's absolutely marvelous. And I want you to think about where we've been. We are going to pick up immediately from where we left off on Sunday. We left off in verse 38. After the angel had just come to Mary, the angel Gabriel, and told her that she was going to bear a son. His name was to be Jesus. Well, now we're going to pick up in verse 39. But when the angel Gabriel came to the Virgin Mary... With the birth announcement of the Son of God, the first words out of His mouth, if you recall back in verse 28, were greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. When you realize that you have found both grace with the Lord and that He is now with you, one of the first things you want to do is be around those who know His favor and who understand His presence. You want to hurry and be with someone else who's in your same shoes. That's exactly what Mary does. She immediately splits the scene and heads over to the hills of Judea to see her cousin Elizabeth. We pick up in verse 39. At this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah. We don't even know if she had told Joseph yet. And honestly, comparing the Gospel accounts, we don't have a word on this. Did she go to Joseph and and let him know what was going on and then take off while he's standing there going, huh? Or did she just take off? But the Bible tells us she left in a hurry. She got the announcement from Gabriel. The next thing we know, she is on her way to see Elizabeth. She entered, verse 40, the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, of course she was. The baby in her womb was already filled with the Holy Spirit, so you could say, in essence, the Holy Spirit was already inside Elizabeth. But now, not only is the Holy Spirit in the baby, but the Holy Spirit is in Elizabeth herself, and we will see that. She is filled with the Spirit. Her response to Mary, the things that she's about to say, are Spirit-led things, things that she couldn't possibly know herself. Baby was filled with the Spirit, and now Mama is filled with the Holy Spirit. J. Vernon McGee says, what we're dealing with here is miraculous. And there's no use trying to offer a natural explanation. He says, you either believe what happened in the verses or you do not. It is a supernatural occurrence. We talked about that beginning on Sunday. We are into a supernatural season. All that's taking place here is of the Spirit. It's of the Lord. It's miraculous. It's supernatural. And it is not to be understood naturally. And if we don't get that, then we don't get the story. Four times in the opening chapter alone, Luke references the filling of the Holy Spirit. 
that John would be filled by the Holy Spirit while still in Mama's womb. That the Holy Spirit would come upon Mary producing her pregnancy. That Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit the moment she saw Mary and heard her greeting. And that Zacharias, as we will see, would also be filled with the Holy Spirit and find His voice. This is a supernatural thing. That's how God deals in this world. Supernaturally. Why is it that people miss or misunderstand the workings of God in our world? Because they're looking for natural explanations. And the second you set that aside and recognize that we believe in and serve a supernatural God, then you can begin to see what He's really doing. Because He functions supernaturally. Verse 42 says, She cried out with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now again, Mary hasn't even told Elizabeth she's pregnant. Mary's not even showing yet. And Elizabeth knows. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Why does Mary go straight to see Elizabeth? Again, from what we can tell, she hasn't told Joseph. I would call this kindred grace. Kindred grace. That Mary immediately needed to be with someone who knew what she knew. And Gabriel told her, hey, your cousin Elizabeth is having a child too. And she understands what's going on. I've just been talking to her. So Mary goes to the source. Mary goes to the one who would understand. And I think about this in our fellowship. That is the substance of a fellowship of believers. Why do we get together? I mean, think about it. We're all very different people. We have different likes, different interests, different backgrounds, different ages. We could go across the board talking about all of our differences. And yet there's one thing that draws us together. And it's Jesus. And it's that Glenn knows something about Jesus. I want to know what Glenn knows. And I know something about Jesus that I'd love to share with him. Spencer and I have things that we share in the Lord. And it's the way that it works. The fellowship drawn together by what again I call kindred grace. There is a necessity, and I use that word intentionally, a necessity for unity on the part of God's people. We are supposed to be together. This is not an island. No Christian is an island. No one person is supposed to go it on their own. We are supposed to be drawn together. Now, this one's for the choir, I know, but hear it again. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Hebrew writer says, I don't even get why you wouldn't want to be together. Why would you have forsake the assembly of the saints? If you have an opportunity to rush off and be with someone who understands grace and knows the presence of the Lord, wouldn't you want to be with them? And that's the whole idea. It's not about checking the box on the attendance sheet for church. It's about being with like-minded, like-hearted believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we're together, something starts to happen. We were praying just a moment ago and Jim made the comment, you know, I just sit and listen and if I'm not feeling good or whatever and I sit and I begin to listen to other people pray, I'm always better. How did you say it? I am always better when I leave prayer. I'm always better for it. 
the encouragement that comes simply from sharing with other believers. Well, I want you to see this tonight. Before we go any further, the encouragement of Mary and Elizabeth, that they share together what happens in this meeting together. Notice what they share in fellowship. Back again in verse 43. Elizabeth, after saying, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, she says, How has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? The mother of my Lord? She's calling Jesus Lord before Jesus has even been named by Dad. Before Jesus is born. While Jesus is in the womb, He is Lord to Elizabeth. And so the first thing these two sisters share here is the recognition of lordship. And it happens when believers get together. We share the recognition of lordship. Absolutely prophetic that Elizabeth recognizes what's going on with Mary. Do you see the lordship of Jesus Christ in other believers? Do you look for that? You see, I'm beginning to do that. To see how others follow Jesus. To see how others submit to Jesus. To see how other believers accept the authority that Jesus brings. Jesus said in John 13, 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for I am. So you're not wrong in being under the authority of Christ. And Elizabeth knows that the one of authority, her Lord, is now implanted by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. How does she know? By the Holy Spirit. There's no other way she could know. But by the Holy Spirit. Now, listen to this. And listen very carefully. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, No one... Listen, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? You cannot claim or declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ, but that the Holy Spirit speaks that through you. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit of the living God to claim Jesus as Lord, to accept His Lordship. There is no one subject to Christ without the filling of the Spirit of Christ. And from time to time, I'll have believers say, I'm just not sure if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, are you under the authority and the Lordship of Jesus? Yeah. Filled. (laughs) Can you say Jesus is Lord? Yes, by the Spirit. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. That is an empowerment by the Spirit to recognize that Jesus is Lord. Jesus said in John 15, 26, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about Me. And so, from the very beginning, even my declaration of faith in Jesus, even my acceptance of Him as Lord, is a supernatural thing. It's a Holy Spirit-led thing. All I did was open up my heart to the possibility. All I did was say, okay, I want to believe. And the Spirit calls out, Jesus is Lord. He gives us utterance. And He gives us utterance. He gives it to us and through us. And again, together, among us. As we continually recognize the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So the recognition of Lordship is the first thing the two sisters share. The second thing, and when I say sisters, I mean sisters in the Lord now. The second thing is the expression of joy. Verse 44, For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. 
And we already talked about this last week. Where the Spirit is present, joy must be present as well. And I truly believe this. You don't have one without the other. You do not have joy unless the Spirit is present. You don't have the Holy Spirit except that there be joy in your life. If you are sour and bitter, Spirit's not present. But if you are joyful, it is because of the Holy Spirit. Now, someone might say, well, Rick, don't you know any joyful non-Christians? And I would say, no, I don't. I really don't. I know some people who are circumstantially happy, perhaps, for the moment. I know some others who are ignorantly blissful. (laughs) You know, for a time. But when it also goes south, when it all goes bad, when it starts to fall apart and the joy immediately leaves, it wasn't joy in the first place. It was circumstance. It was luck, if you believe in such a thing. It was the happiness that comes in the world that is always based on how you're doing rather than the joy that comes from the Lord which has nothing to do with your circumstances. Nothing to do with your life. You could be in the midst of a car accident and there be the joy of the Spirit there present with you. I I marvel this. I'm going to boast on my wife for just a second because she's not here. And I talk about her all the time anyway. Cheryl got out of the van when she got hit last week and the first thing she did was go back to see how the other lady was and stayed there talking with her until the ambulance came. She wasn't mad at her. She wasn't bitter. She wasn't angry. You know, I I think, how would I have reacted in that situation? What's the matter with you? Do you see what you... I know you're bleeding out your eyes. Did you see what you did to my van? You better have insurance. I truly wouldn't react that way, so if you're ever thinking about hitting me. Um, no, and then Saturday, she called her up. I come home. I talked to the lady who hit me. I'm like, what? She goes, was that wrong? <laughs> no. Talked to her, wanted to make sure she was okay, checked in with her. The joy of the Lord. Joy of the Lord. Where the Spirit is, there is joy. Lasting, abiding joy that is not based on what's happening and the joy, the joy of the Lord, gang, it's not a natural thing. Again, it's supernatural. It goes beyond what's happening in our lives. It does not exist aside from His Spirit. Paul says in Romans 15.13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope. Joy, peace, and hope. Where does that come from? Paul says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You want peace? It comes from the Spirit. Joy from the Spirit. Hope in your life, it comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where you get it. So these these two, Mary and Elizabeth, they share the recognition of lordship. They share the expression of joy. It's a joyful meeting. And finally, number three, the inspiration of faith. Verse 45. And blessed is she, Elizabeth continues, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Now again, they haven't had a conversation. Elizabeth is referring to what had happened to Mary. Mary's listening to this. She's got to be amazed. How does Elizabeth know all of this? How does she know that this was spoken to me? How does she know that I believed it? But by the Holy Spirit. The inspiration of faith. Remember what Mary had said to Gabriel when he was done sharing with her. She said, Luke 1.38, Behold the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. 
And now, Elizabeth is referring to Mary's simple, unadulterated, virginal faith. And it's a great inspiration for Elizabeth. See, Elizabeth is blessed by Mary's faith. Elizabeth, by the Spirit, recognizes that Mary accepted the word of the Lord. And it blesses Elizabeth. And that's how it works. When you accept by faith what God is doing, it blesses me. When I tell you by faith what what the Lord is up to, it blesses you. And that together we share the inspiration of faith. Your faith inspires me. My faith is supposed to inspire you. But that doesn't happen if we forsake the assembly of the saints, does it? If I'm out there on my own going, I believe in Jesus just fine. Yeah, good luck. The longer you go on your own, the less inspired you're going to be because you're not hearing it from anybody else. And after a while, you know what happens in our brains. We start to think thoughts and question things and doubt. All I need is another believer to come alongside me and share what God's doing in their life. And my faith gets lit up. The inspiration of faith. It's a beautiful example of how the body is supposed to act in faith and in joy and under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans 1.11, I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, he clarifies, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. That's how it works. Your faith encourages my faith. Ephesians 4.15 tells us speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. The church functioning together. The church ministering together. 1 Corinthians 12.7 Paul writes that to the To to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Kindred grace. That's kindred grace. What we see in this short exchange, this interplay between Mary and Elizabeth is absolutely beautiful. It's a great gift. Talk about the gift that keeps on giving. God has given us the church. And it's a beautiful thing. Praise God for the church. You know, I talk about the church a lot in our studies and in teaching. And oftentimes, there's a negative spin to it. You know, I've shared with you very openly my disappointment about things I see going on. My worries, my concerns, my burdens sometimes for the church. But never, never doubt. I love the church. The church is God's vehicle. Right now, in this season, in this age on earth to bring the gospel to the world, to maintain the encouragement of the believers, to develop and grow faith, to pour out joy, to be established under the Lordship of Jesus. It's all so significant. And God had the wisdom and foresight to give us each other. Praise God for the church. Now, speaking of kindred, note this, it's very important. In verse 44, there's a word that's used. Behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Elizabeth uses the word in the Greek, brephos. Brephos, for baby. My little brephos. The word brephos can be translated infant, or fetus, or baby. So what? 
So I want you to know that the word used for baby John in the womb is the same exact word used for baby Jesus in the manger in chapter 2, verses 12 and 16. Same word. Brephos in the womb. Brephos in the manger. What does that tell us? God doesn't distinguish between the womb and the manger. He doesn't distinguish. He doesn't say one is a blob of tissue and the other one is a living soul. Both are brephos. Both are a baby. John was a baby before he was born. Jesus, at that moment, in Mary's womb, a baby. As much as Jesus was a baby when He was in the womb. And as far as our Creator is concerned, whether in the womb or in the manger, both are life. Both are a soul. Those little things in Scripture that sometimes we miss, but it's absolutely clear, God makes no distinction. Well, verse 46, picking up, Mary said, now she replies, My soul exalts the Lord, or magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for He has has had regard for the humble state of His bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, His servant, in remembrance of His mercy, as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. This is the first Christmas song on Luke's Gospel record. First Christmas song. And that's one of the marvelous, unique things about the Gospel of Luke is that he gives us the songs surrounding the birth of Christ. The angel's song, Mary's song, Zacharias' song, and others as well. This one's often called the Magnificat because it begins, My soul magnifies the Lord. So based off of the Latin, literally, for the word magnify. And it's so beautiful. And it's so rich in theology. Spencer, you know where I'm going with this. We're going to have to save it for Sunday. So skip on ahead. We're going to come back to this. And we'll look at Mary's song on Sunday morning. Let's continue with the birth of the first Baptist preacher. Verse 57. Now, the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth. And she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed His great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias, after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him to be called. Now, remember, Zacharias is dumb and and deaf. (laughs) Not dumb and dumber. He's dumb and he's deaf. He can't speak. He also can't hear. They're gesturing to him. They're trying to figure out, what do you want your son to be called? Because your wife's obviously off her rocker. Maybe some kind of postpartum thing. She's not thinking straight. She wants to name the baby John. Obviously, it should be Zacharias, right? 
pause there for a minute. We'll come back to that question. There's another question that someone brought to me on Sunday morning, and I think it's worth pausing to think about. Why was Zacharias struck dumb and not Mary? Hardly seems fair. Both asked a question. Both seemed to question what the angel brought. Why is Zacharias now mute for nine months? Mary can blab all she wants. Is that okay? And some have said, well, maybe it's because Zacharias was clergy. Maybe it's because he should have known better. He was clergy and Mary was cutesy. You know? She's, by all our estimates, she's 14 years old, maybe 15. And so you can't hardly accept or expect her to have that kind of faith. So we'll give her a pass. God gives the junior higher a hall pass, right? And, but he holds Zacharias to account. And some think maybe that's what's going on there. Maybe that's why Zacharias is struck dumb and Mary is not. What's the real answer? I think their responses to the angel give us a clue. So I want you to go back to verse 18 here in chapter 1. And listen for a moment to Zacharias in how he responds to the angel, and then we'll see how Mary did. Luke chapter 1, verse 18. Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Zacharias simply wasn't biting. Gabriel comes to him, explains what's going on. He's skeptical, and he says, in essence, I'm an old man. And the angel says, yes, and I'm Gabriel. I'm an old man. You don't understand. I'm Gabriel. You can almost sense, and I don't want to read into it too much, but you can almost sense that Gabriel's a little miffed. I know you're an old man. That's why I was sent to you. I'm an angel. I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. You think I'm going to tell you something that's not going to happen? You think I'm going to tell you something that's not true? And so Zacharias questions the word of the angel. Listen again to what happened in Mary's response. Go down to verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Skip down to verse 34. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? Do you hear what I hear? Little Christmas song reference there. Did you hear the difference between the two? Zachariah, here's the deal. Zacharias questions the word. Mary questions the work. Zacharias questions the word. How will I know that what you're telling me is true? How do I believe the word that you're telling me? And so he showed no faith in the word that God had brought. Mary just questions the work. She doesn't question whether or not it's going to happen. She says, how's it going to be done? I'd like to know how he's going to do it. Her question already has faith in it because she assumes it's going to take place. She just doesn't know how. 
Zacharias isn't believing it's going to take place. He questions the word. Mary questions the work. And that's the difference. For Zacharias, it was an issue of faith. For Mary, it was an issue of function. Okay, there are all kinds of ways that God can go about something. I can believe Him for doing something. I just don't know how He's going to do it. Different ways, different means that God uses in our lives to accomplish His will. The question is, do I believe His Word? Mary questioned the work. Zacharias questioned the Word. And so Gabriel sent Zacharias off to a nine-month school of silent learning. (laughs) Because his faith was the issue. Now that being said, Mary still had something to learn. And we see it in Gabriel's response to her. He says to her, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So put this together, gang. She asks how and Gabriel responds, who? How are you going to do it? The Holy Spirit. God, how are you going to? I got it. You see, a lot of times our how questions are best answered by who. I don't need to know what the function is. I just need to know who's in charge. I just need to know God's going to do it. I don't care how. How doesn't matter. Oftentimes, people of faith, believers, we ask the how questions, and those aren't the right questions. Mary had faith that it was going to be done, but she's asking, how's this going to take place? And Gabriel just says, Holy Spirit, He's got it. How's not the issue? Who is the issue? It's not about making natural sense out of things or understanding the clear path to the end. It's knowing God's going to do it. I'll tell you what, in our building situation right now, God's going to do it. He's got it. He's had it since day one. I believe that. I always have. Well, how's He going to do it? I don't know. Seven years ago, I thought it was one way. Six years ago, I thought it was another. Five years ago, I had a different idea. Four years ago, a different approach. Three years ago, it was different. Still, every year, it's like, I don't know how he's doing. This is not what I thought. But you know what? He is going to accomplish it. So it's a who, not a how. I don't know about you. Colleen and I were just talking about this. I have a whole lot more peace when I recognize who than when I'm asking how. And I want to figure it out. That, that uh, I start to stress. But when I step back and go, wait a minute. It's not my problem. It's God's problem. This church is His problem. That building, that's His problem. This fellowship, that's His problem, not mine. And so again, it's a who, not a how. Mary finally accepts this supernatural truth. And the moment she does, she says, may it be done to me, what? According to your... Word. Word. She accepts the word. Zacharias didn't accept the word. That was the problem for him. Mary did accept the word. And that's the way to go. Maybe that's why God chose a teenager to carry his son. She couldn't explain it. But she believed the word. Now, back to Zechariah. hope that helps clear up the difference a little bit there. Go to verse 62. Remember, they were making signs to Zacharias as to what he wanted him to be called. And verse 63 tells us, And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows. His name is John. We don't know if it was an iPad, a Galaxy. We don't know. <laughs> but we know this. Zacharias emphatically wrote on that tablet, His name is John. And the moment he did, 
Zacharias got his voice. Verse 64, all at once, or and at once, his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak in praise to God. Fear came on all those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea, which, by the way, would include Jerusalem. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. Moment of faith, gang. Do you remember the moment that you decided to believe? Can you draw back to that very first time when in your heart you flipped the switch? Click, I believe. Click, yes, Lord. Click, I I want to be your follower. Click, I believe it. I remember it so vividly in my life. I won't tell the whole story, but I remember the very moment I believed. and, and, And I remember what I said. I said, okay, Lord, it's all or nothing. That's what I said. I was a kid. It's all or nothing. I believe. And faith gave me a voice. Even at the age of 10, faith gave me a voice. I started being able to talk about Jesus. I didn't know what I was talking about, but I knew Jesus was good. I knew I had a relationship with Him. I knew it had something to do with His Bible and hymns. I didn't know much more. But Jesus gave me a voice. Zacharias finally steps out by faith, naming the baby John. And this is huge, gang. It's bigger than just, yeah, call him John if that's what the wife wants. I would have gone with Zacharias myself. No, his name is John. What does that mean? It means Zacharias finally believed that that name given by Gabriel was the name intended for this child. In that moment, Zacharias hands John over to the Lord. He, he, he is God's man. He belongs to the Lord. God brought this about. To write his name as John is a huge moment of faith. What if Zacharias had named him little Zach? You know, Zach Jr. Or Abijah. He was of that priestly line of Abijah. Could it, that would have been a good name for him. Or perhaps Levi. Because both Zacharias and Elizabeth were Levites. Elizabeth of, of the line of Aaron. They could have named him Aaron. Great names, all available. He could have chosen any name of his very distinctive family line of Levi and it would have been a rejection of the name that God chose. But for Zacharias to say his name is John was a statement of faith. I thought about this just this afternoon that it is not easy to hand our children over to the Lord. I talked to my mom yesterday. My parents live in Southern California. Me and my wife and kids, my brother, his wife, and their daughter, we all live up here in Washington. Ron's a pastor, I'm a pastor, this is what we're doing. We're here because we feel like we've been called here. It's coming on Christmas. My parents are down in Southern California. And they're not going to be able to be up here this year. And and my mom was just telling me on the phone yesterday, I was telling her, you know, I I wish we could be down there with you, I wish we could be together. And she said, I wish it too, but she said, you know, we we had to give you guys over to the Lord. And we know you're doing what... God wants you to do. doesn't make it easy, but we know that that's, that's the right thing. And I think with Zacharias and Elizabeth, they couldn't perhaps have had the foresight of knowing what it meant to name him John. But I think if they had named him Aaron or Levi or Zacharias, his life might have been a little easier. He probably would have had better digs than the desert, you know. 
probably would have better food to eat than locusts and wild honey. The honey part's okay. (laughs) He probably would not have been beheaded. But Zacharias and Elizabeth handed John over to the Lord. Zacharias could have stopped it if he had just named his baby differently. If he had just said, not my son, you get someone else's son. But faith comes to Zacharias, and faith gives him a voice. Listen to that voice now, verse 67. His father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited us and accomplished redemption for His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David His servant. As He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. Now before you go on, stop right there, because that's the first half of the song. Zacharias' song. He begins here with this marvelous mouthful of praise. First thing he does, first thing he does is Zacharias praises the Christ. The most immediate subject of this old priest's song is not his newly named son John. It's the yet to be clearly named Son of God, Jesus. He starts praising Jesus. Well, how do you know that? We'll look back. He says in verse 68, He has visited us. Visited us? How does God visit His people? In the person of Jesus Christ. As was about to happen, though it had not yet happened. He's about to visit. And here Zacharias, by the Spirit, again, infers the imminent and altogether intimate visit of God to planet Earth. The tragedy in this moment of Zacharias prophesying at the birth of John the visitation of Jesus Christ is that while Zacharias proclaimed it, Israel, for the most part, missed it. And three decades later, Jesus would say in Luke 19.43 as He wept over Jerusalem, the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side and they will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Note this in Zechariah's song, He said, You have given us salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And now Jesus, 30 years later, says, No, your enemies and all you hate, who hate you are about to come against you. Why, Jesus? Jesus prayed on, Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. God visited, and Israel didn't see Him. He's the one who accomplishes redemption for His people. Note that. Not only He has visited us, but He has accomplished redemption. Zacharias praises in verse 68. Redemption. That word redemption in verse 68 is the Greek aorist tense. Note that in your Bibles. Aorist. A-O-R-I-S-T. It's important. The Greek aorist tense. What does it mean? It means the word redemption is past, present, or future. Any one of the three. It can go any way. Why is that important? Because that's what redemption does. 
Redemption works past, present, and future. Your past sins, gang, redeemed, wiped out, paid for. Your present failures, sins of yesterday, today, tomorrow, your present failures, wiped out, redeemed, paid for, grace. Your future failures, and there will be a few, redeemed. Redeemed. He has paid for our redemption, past, present, and future. Psalm 119 verse 9 says He has sent redemption to His people. He has ordained His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. Zacharias praises on. He praises the one who will visit. He praises the one who accomplishes redemption. Both of these Jesus. He says also, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. And that's the clincher. The horn of salvation of the house of David. Note that, not of the house of Levi. You would think that Zacharias would be drawing back to his own lineage if he was talking about his son John. Of the house of Levi! A salvation through my son! No. Jesus Christ was of the house of David. And Zacharias, before the birth of Jesus, in this Holy Spirit-inspired moment, calls out the horn of salvation of the house of David. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He is praising and glorifying Jesus. And by the way, that's an important distinction. Because John's calling and the Lord's Christ would be clearly differentiated in the upbringing of John the Baptist. Had to be. By the time John comes on the scene and begins to preach and to prophesy, listen to some of what he says. John 1 verse 19, the Gospel of John, says, This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Later in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 28, You yourselves are my witnesses, said John, that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of Him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. John says, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. And I'm just excited for him. And John says, so this joy of mine has been made full. And then John said that very famous phrase. He must increase. I must decrease. And I would trace this all the way back to the song of Zacharias. Proclaiming before he even says anything about his own little son. Proclaiming the Christ. Praising the Lord Jesus. Jesus is also the one, the salvation, if you know this in... Let's see. The salvation of whom the holy prophets spoke. Salvation from our enemies. Verses 70 and 71. Jesus is the salvation of whom the prophets spoke. The New Testament tells us, Revelation 19.10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We've seen this over and over again. Every prophet of the Hebrew Scriptures is pointing to Jesus. Every single one. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. They are all pointing to Jesus Christ. All of the prophets coming after Daniel that we'll study in future days, you know, Lord willing, all of those prophets pointing to Jesus Christ. 
Because all the prophets of old had one thing on their mind, the Christ of Israel. And they prophesied of the salvation that would come through Him and by Him. In other words, it all begins with Jesus. This song of Zacharias is a song of praise to Jesus Christ. And then and only then, once He has sung out this praise, then He proclaims John's ministry. So He praises Jesus, and then He proclaims John's ministry. Verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. To give to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. Isaiah 9, verse 2 to guide our feet into the way of peace. The prophetic word is fulfilled. The fulfillment of the Hebrew Scripture. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 reads, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. I'm going to send a messenger forth first, clear out the way, and then my son is coming. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. By the way, part of how we know someone is speaking prophetically by the Holy Spirit is their quote in Scripture. You see it in Elizabeth's song. We will talk about it on Sunday in the Magnificat of Mary. We see it with Zacharias. There is Scripture, 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 Scripture. It is the Word of God being downloaded and spoken even as these people are prophesying what's going on. So Zacharias is just proclaiming what has been proclaimed. That his son is the one about whom it said he's going to go before the Lord. He's going to prepare the way. John is the one who went before the Christ. But listen... You are the ones who come after the Christ. John prepared the way of the Lord. Jesus came. And now we are those who prepare the way for His second coming. We share that with John. Gang, we, just like John, are called to be evangelists. He really should have been called John the Evangelist. I know he was Duncan people. So they could have called him John Duncan, I guess. But rather than John the Baptist, John the Evangelist, John the Proclaimer, that's our calling. And there are three things here that Zacharias says about his son that apply directly to you, apply directly to me. What are you saying, Rick? I'm saying what John did, we're supposed to do. Same thing as John. We're supposed to speak the Gospel. To speak the Gospel, verse 77, to give His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. That's the Gospel. Salvation by forgiveness of sin. The Gospel message. That's our message. Zacharias said, Son, you're going to... To his eight-day-old, you're going to speak the Gospel. That's part of your calling. John chapter 1, verse 7, the Gospel of John again says, He... John the Baptist came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light. 
But he came to testify about the light. Same as you. Same as me. I'm not the light. Ask my family. I am not the light. But I'm here to testify about the light. I'm here to, as it were, reflect the light. May the glory of Jesus shine on me and reflect off. But it's never generated in here. Zacharias clarifies that John would be a witness of the salvation, of knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins. You know what Paul calls that? Some of you may recall this from our study in 2 Timothy. Paul calls it my gospel. That's my gospel you're talking about. It's not the gospel. It's not somebody's gospel. That's my gospel. My good news. I have one piece of good news to share in this world, and that is forgiveness of sin by Jesus Christ. The gospel. My gospel. So our message is the message, like John's, of proclamation of the gospel of Jesus to the world. As Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first, and also the Greek. So speak the gospel. Secondly, shine the glory. Shine the glory. He says, because of verse 78, the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, Why? To shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. We are called to shine. To shine the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, to be reflectors of that glory. As John said, He must increase. I must decrease. You know someone is maturing in the Lord when the more you look at them, the more you see Jesus and the less you see of them. As He increases, I decrease. And that's the idea. To shine the glory. The brightness of the glory of Christ in our lives. Not generated by us. Sometimes we Christians get a little confused and we think if we work harder, we can generate more light. We can bring about more sparks. And that's not the deal. The time spent with the Lord. The subjecting ourselves. Bowing before Remaining quiet before waiting on the Lord. Allowing His Spirit to talk and to speak and to work through us. That allows the light to shine. Not all that we can do. Not all the work that we put in. Now we are reflectors of what Zacharias called the sunrise from on high. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 says, It was for this He called you through our Gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the more we gain that glory, the more we can reflect that glory. 2 Corinthians 4.6, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And it is that glory that we reflect to a very dark world. Number three, share the guidance. Speak the gospel. Shine the glory. Number three, share the guidance. He says the last line of his song. To guide our feet into the way of peace. Share the guidance. Does that sound familiar? To guide our feet into the way of peace. Psalm 119.105 Perhaps your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's a favorite of many of us. Your word is a, is a lamp to my feet 
and a light to my path. A lamp that shines out, shines out a distance so that you can kind of have some idea of where you're going. And a light which just shows one step at a time. A lamp and a light. And Jesus said in John 16, 13, when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. Share that guidance. We have two prongs of that guidance. Two prongs. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. And together, as we walk by the Word and the Spirit, we have a lamp and a light. We have the very clear guidance that we need. Share the guidance. Speak the Word. Share what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's given us both to guide our feet in the way of peace. That was John's calling. Speak the Gospel. Shine the glory. And share the guidance that we receive by the Word and by the Holy Spirit. You know, honestly, there is nothing like what you have in the natural world. There is nothing like what we have. When Christians make comments like, oh, I'm just not that smart. No, you're not. But you have something amazing. You have the Spirit of God and the Word of God. You may be a complete moron in and of yourself. And I know because I are. Is. What? I don't know. I am. But the wisdom of God, the mind of Christ, the wisdom that comes from the Word of God, the things that you can speak into other people's lives are absolutely remarkable because they're supernatural. They are not from you. And we have this glorious gift that you can't find in the world. You can go to the highest university, the brightest minds, the the most pontificating professors, and you won't find this kind of wisdom. Wisdom of just a simple... Mary's 14, guys. 14 years old. Isn't it amazing? You had a 14, 15-year-old girl, and you have an old woman, and these two are incredibly wise. And you have an old man who is just speaking biblical truth. The three of them are marginalized in our society, aren't they? Children are marginalized. They don't have it together yet. And elderly people, well, you know, they're pretty much... Time to go out to pasture. You know, thanks for what you did back in your working days, but we don't really need you. We we don't want to hear from you now. And I think we have missed it. And God chooses those who are marginalized, pulls them in and says... I'm going to speak amazing things through this little girl and through this elderly couple and I'm going to show you that the wisdom is not from below. It is from above. That's how He does it. Supernatural Christmas. We are called by a supernatural Savior to a supernatural story of a supernatural salvation. Amen? So we receive that. And we're told in verse 80 that the child, John, continued to grow and to become strong in spirit. And he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Well, we'll come back to that public appearance in Luke chapter 3. But for now, the stage is set. The lights come down. The cast is in place. Linus grabs his blanket. (laughs) 
And the stage is set by the Gospel of Luke for the most glorious Christmas play the world has ever seen. And we're going to talk about that not next Wednesday night, next Tuesday night, Christmas Eve. We're going to open up Luke chapter 2. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You will bless the teaching of Your Word tonight. Lord, I am so thankful for the example of Mary and Elizabeth, for their fellowship and what it teaches us about how we are so important one to another in in faith and in joy. Father, to be strengthened one by another. I pray we will never forget how important that is. We thank You for the example of of Mary's simple faith in accepting Your Word. We thank You Thank you for the example of Zacharias, who probably is more like a lot of us who have a little trouble sometimes with the Word and need a little time to sit in silence and learn. Thank you, Father, for your patience with Zacharias. That you didn't take away the promise, you just gave him time to think about it. Thank you for the words spoken through the young girl and the elderly couple. And may we never forget that the wisdom of your Word and the wisdom of your Spirit Make foolish the things of man. And teach us until Jesus comes what it means to live more supernatural lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.